Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Revelation, Revelation chapter 3. As we continue our study through the Revelation, we are at the fifth church, the church at Sardis. So I hope you'll turn there and follow. We Remember, I gave you that chart. I hope you're following through the chart because we're at the fifth church or the fifth of the ages of the church. And we're at the church of Sardis. If you were to describe it the way Jesus described it, it was the church that was sleeping or the church that was unaware. Look what it says in chapter 3, verse 1 and following. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, and you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. If, therefore, you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who who overcomes shall Thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we begin each letter, the most important thing that we see is how Jesus describes himself to each one of the churches. There in verse number one, he describes himself this way. He who has, and you ought to circle that little word there, has, who has the seven spirits of God and has the seven stars, says, circle that word as well, says this. The reason I would have you to circle the word has and says is because each of those verbs are in a present tense. In other words, it's something that Jesus is saying. Remember, he's the one who writes the letter, he writes the letter to each of the churches or to the angel of those churches, and he is recording that. Well, when it says that he says or he has, that's in present tense. That means that we serve a risen Savior, amen? It's not what Jesus said in the past. It's not what a dead man said before, but it's something that the living Lord Jesus, who died, rose, ascended to heaven, is at the right hand of the Father and will be coming again one day, As he is sitting there, he is writing this letter to this church, and he says in present tense, I'm the one who has, and I'm the one who says. He is a risen, living Lord. And that's the unique thing about our faith. I'm glad that you're here today. I rejoice that you're here as we as believers come together and celebrate the uniqueness about our fellowship and about our church and our faith, and that is that Jesus Christ is evermore alive. When he says that he's alive, he says this, 
I am the one who has the seven spirits. Before he's talked about those seven spirits. There are no seven spirits of God. But remember the number seven is the number of perfection or completeness. Is the idea that there's all that there is. So he says, I have the spirit of God. The Spirit of God is within me. The Spirit of God is a part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he emphasized the fact that he has the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God is so very important in the birthing and existence of the church. The church came into existence on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit of God came. The church was birthed at that particular time. It's the infusion of the Spirit of God that brings about the church. Thousands and tens of thousands of people come to know Christ and they form the church. And the Holy Spirit is active in and through the church. That's why we are about the business that we are because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, I have the seven spirits or the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He says, and also have the seven stars and the churches he brings about or gives messengers or pastors, whoever it is that's going to be the leaders of those church. I have those stars. I have those messengers and everything that Jesus is pointing to and everything he's saying is about the establishment of the church, about the importance of the church and the role of the Holy Spirit in the church. That's going to be important because what he has to deal with, with this church, the church at Sardis. As I said, if you were to describe it, many people describe it as the sleepy church, the unaware church, because of what Jesus says next. Remember that in most of the letters, there's a word of commendation. Almost every church received a word of commendation, but this church does not. Only two, two churches do not receive a word of commendation, Sardis and Laodicea. So he goes immediately from words of commendation, which he does not have to share, to words of correction. That he wants to make towards the church. And this is what he says there in verse 1 about their situation. He says, I know your deeds. That you have a name that you are alive. But rather you are dead. He says to the church at Sardis this. That you are in danger of becoming a museum. Of becoming a museum. Have any of you ever been to a museum of natural history? A museum of natural history, you're going to go in there and they're going to have all kinds of displays and they're going to have animals in their natural habitat. And those animals are sitting there in the natural habitat and those animals look alive, don't they? I mean, they look alive. They're like their breathing could be working and everything else. They look alive, but they're not. Some taxidermist has taken and worked in them and brought them about where they look like they're alive, but they are not. And that's what Jesus basically says about this church. He said, you are in danger of becoming a museum because you look like on the outside that you're alive. You have a name that you are alive, but you are not alive. You are dead. And he gives that as a warning to that church. He gives it a warning to all churches. Be careful lest you get the appearance that you look like you're alive and you're dead. Be careful. That has a lot to do with the, the fact that the history and the age of the church at this particular time. 
You remember what we had talked about, the apostolic age is where the church was birthed with the apostles. After the apostolic age, there was the age of the Smyrna church where there was a, a persecution. And during that persecution, there was tremendous growth and, and tremendous things happened within the church. Then Constantine came along and he established the church as, as far as a national religion. It's the worst thing that happened and, and formed a lot of uh, where the church became established and wealthy and rich. And then and we saw where many, many problems were happening within the church at that particular time. And now the church is not in persecution. The, the church is established. The church is just functioning. But the church, if not careful, has become like a museum. It is really on the inside dead. Kind of like Vance Havner, that great Baptist preacher. He said the church typically goes through four stages. He said the first stage is a man. Some man had a vision for that church being established. Then there became a movement, a movement of people towards the work of God. Then it becomes a machine. And finally, it will become a monument. Be careful lest you become a monument. Be careful lest you be like the church at Sardis. And that's the way Jesus described them. Now, how did Sardis get there? Well, it, it basically followed a parallel to the city. The city of Sardis was, was the capital of the Lydian Empire, the Lydian Kingdom. It was one of the most impressive cities in its time. I mean, even though kingdoms might change, it was always preserved and it was kept and it was impressive. It was in a place, it was built in a place to where it was inaccessible by, for armies to get and, and it was un, unpenetrable. They, they were just in a safe and, and a glorious place. And because they were in a safe place, they had great wealth. Their king realized the importance they had of the fortress they were in and a river around them formed a natural moat and they were safe. But not only that, in the sands of that river were, was gold. And they would take the gold out and that became their wealth. And the first place that money or coins were made was in Sardis. He took the gold and he made them into coins. And that's how money came about in this particular city. It was a wonderful, glorious place. Everybody wanted to go to Sardis until it began to decay. And it began to fall apart. And the reason it began to decay and fall apart was primarily for two reasons. One is that they were in this place of great protection and safety, but it was defeated the first time because the sentries did not stay awake and they did not help the people to be aware that when the army was coming and the sentries were unfaithful to their work and the army invaded them like a thief in the night, came upon them when they did not expect it and took over their city and that led to their decay. A second time they were defeated was not because the centuries primarily gave up. It's because the people became so lazy. They became so lazy that they were not even willing to fight the enemy. Just let the enemy come on in. And because of those two defeats and what happened in that city, the city began to decay and it began to get weak. And basically in regard to the church, he's talking about sorry, the church was following that same pattern. It was becoming weak. While it was established and while it had not gone through persecution in a while, while everything seems to be acceptable and wonderful in the midst of it, it was getting weaker and weaker on the inside. Remember we talked about in Smyrna that when the church went through persecution, that it was purest of all times. 
It was the greatest in strength of all times in the midst of persecution. And now the church is not going through persecution. It's established. It's resting. It seems like everything is fine. But the problem is that it is basically dying. And it's dying because of its complacency. It's dying because of the fact that it is lazy. And the church, the church is not willing to fight. The church is not willing to stand against the enemy. And therefore, all of these things are beginning to happen in that church to make it weak. Now, it kind of reminds you of of what Napoleon Bonaparte said whenever he was there with his generals. And he took and he drew a circle around the kingdom and the nation of China. When he drew that circle around the nation of China, he told his generals, he says, Here lies a sleeping giant, but let her sleep. For Napoleon knew this, if China ever took the resources they had and the manpower they had, he could never stand against that army. But Napoleon said, they're a sleeping giant, let them sleep. I really believe that's what happens with old Satan and his demons of hell. I think Satan kind of gets up on the board and he draws a circle around the church of the living God. And he says to his demons, he said, there is a sleeping giant. There's a sleeping giant. If the church ever used its power, ever used its resources, ever used all that God gave to him and gave to it, we would not have a chance talking to the demons of hell. But the church is a sleeping giant. So let her sleep. That's what Satan would be saying about the church at Sardis. That's what the... the, Satan would be saying about churches that are living in the Sardis age. All the power, all the potential to be the greatest force in the world, but we are sleeping. For see, we are. The church is the greatest power in this world. When Jesus was here, he was the greatest one on the earth. When he left here and he sent the Holy Spirit to empower the church, the church became the greatest power in the world, far greater than Satan. And Satan knows the power of the church, but he also knows that as long as we sleep, as long as we are complacent, as long as we look fine on the outside but are dead on the inside, as long as that happens, he's okay with what he's doing. Whenever I was reading, I read what Warren Wearsby wrote about the church and the unsaved people in the day of Sardis. Listen to what he writes in regard to Sardis. He said the unsaved of the city of Sardis saw the church as a respectable group who they neither feared or neither considered dangerous or desirable. They were decent people with a dying witness and a decaying ministry. Let me read that again. The unsaved of Sardis, people looking at that Sardis church saw the church as a respectable group who were neither dangerous nor desirable. They were decent people with a dying witness and a decaying ministry. Boy, I pray to God that that the people of our community wouldn't see us that way. I I pray that the people uh, of Anniston, Calhoun County, and surrounding area, I I pray they don't just say, well, those people down there at Parker, they're they're respectable people. (laughs) 
Those people down there at Parker, they're good people, but you don't have to worry about them very much. We're not desiring to be like them, but you don't have to worry about it. They're, they're not real dangerous as far as the things of the world. They're just respectable, good folks who meet down there on the corner in 12th and Quintart. You say, well, is that really ha- was happening in their day? Because they were a church, they weren't being persecuted. But you know why they weren't being persecuted? Because they were not invading the territory of the enemy. You want to be persecuted, just go start invading the territory of the enemy. The enemy will fight back. But if we're going to be just respectable and take up space and do those kind of things and look good on the outside, but on the inside we're not where we ought to be, we're probably not ever going to go through persecution because we're not invading much territory. That's exactly what the church of Sardis was. He says, he says, be careful because I see your deeds and I know that you have a name that you're alive, but you are dead. So what's his instruction to them? Here's what he says. Wake up. Wake up. And strengthen the things that remain which were, about your, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of God. Here's the instruction. He said we got to wake up. Now, now you tell people to wake up because one thing, they're asleep. Amen. Hey, you got to wake up. You're asleep. And we're asleep in our faith. If we're asleep as a church, we need to wake up. We need to be counted. But you also tell people to wake up who aren't paying attention. They aren't paying attention. Have you ever met anybody that has attention deficit disorder? They're everywhere. We've all got that, I think. But what, what that simply means is that they can look right at you, but they're not, they don't have a clue what you're talking about. What, so what do you have to do? You have to say, hey, you need to wake up. You need to pay attention. You realize what's happening. That's exactly what Jesus says. He says to this church, you need to wake up. And when you wake up, you need to strengthen things that remain which were about to die. In other words, don't lose what you have. Don't lose what was given to you. They're not dead, but they're dying. There's a danger that you can lose this. Do not lose that. That's his warning. And and then his second one, he says, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of God. He said, he says, don't quit. Don't stop. Complete the course. Finish the race. Do what you're supposed to do. Or a way that I like to put it is don't die before you're dead. Right? Don't die before you're dead. Wait till you're dead to die. Some people die before they're dead. They just quit everything. Stop everything. Stop living. You're not to stop living. You're not to stop making a difference until you're dead. And God's the one who determines that. And he says, basically, this church, that's what you're doing. You've not completed what you're supposed to complete in the sight of God. So wake up and do what you're supposed to do. And then he tells them how. How do you wake up? He says that in verse number three. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard And keep it and repent. He tells us how to wake up. That we are to repent and and to keep what we have and 
what we've received unto God and remember how we got to where we are and who we are in Christ. And all that comes basically down to the work of the Holy Spirit. How did the church get birth? The Holy Spirit. How is the church effective? The Holy Spirit. You allow the Holy Spirit to do that work and repentance is this, God, I'm sorry I'm sorry that I'm no longer letting the Holy Spirit work in my life or in our church. God, I'm sorry that your power that makes a difference in this world, which is the Holy Spirit, is is hindered in some way. I want the Holy Spirit to be at work in my life and in our church. That's what repentance is all about. For see, the Holy Spirit is here to work and to move and to birth and to grow his church till Jesus comes. He's here to be in power and be Lord over his church till Jesus comes. And as long as the Holy Spirit has freedom, he will do a mighty work. But hold on. We have a way of hindering the work of the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that we hinder the work of the Holy Spirit is called we we grieve the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit. Another way we hinder the work of the Holy Spirit is we quench the Holy Spirit. And if we grieve and quench the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit is not able to do the work in our lives and in the church like he wants to and like he came to do it. So we need to make sure we don't do that. What does it mean to grieve or quench the Holy Spirit? If you don't write anything else, write this in the margin of your Bible so that you'll know it. To grieve the Holy Spirit means this, that you do something that God and the Holy Spirit tells you you ought not do. It's called sin, right? Whenever God writes down and God says you shouldn't do this and you go out and you do that, you grieve the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, you'll know what grieving the Holy Spirit is when you're saved because that grief's going to be felt in your heart. You're going to feel that grief in your heart. You know why you feel it in your heart? Because he lives there. When the Holy Spirit is grieved, you are grieved in your spirit. If you can commit sin and you are not grieved in your spirit, you better check out if he's there. Amen. Because I'm here to tell you, whenever you're saved, he comes to live there. And if you grieve him, you will know that you've grieved him. I call it living at the funeral home. You don't want to live at the funeral home. That's not the happy place. That's not the fun place. That's not the rejoicing place. You want to live in the birthing room at the hospital. That's the joyful place. That's where new life comes in. And if you've gotten in your heart and your life to where you are comfortable in living in the funeral home, and you're comfortable in living with grief and the grief of the the Holy Spirit in your heart, you need to get right. There's a whole lot more to the Christian life than living in the funeral home. And I can tell you this, if you are a funeral home believer, nobody wants it. Your friend doesn't want it. They hope they don't catch it. Because when you have a funeral home faith, because there's nothing but grief there, it's certainly not attractive. But whenever you have the birthing room faith where you're rejoicing and excited about what God's doing, what's God's birthing. More people want to grab hold of it. And why does the Holy Spirit, why is he grieved? Because you do what you're not supposed to. And repentance is this, dear God, I'm sorry. I'm doing what I ought not do. Please forgive me and help me to live like I ought to live. 
There's a second thing, though. It's called quenching the Holy Spirit. What is quenching the Holy Spirit? Quenching the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit of God is telling you to do something and you refuse to do it. Have, have you ever had a sense in your heart where God told you maybe you need to talk about, tell somebody about Jesus? You need to give them a track. You need to pray for that person. You need to go over and see that person and make a difference. You need to give that person something. And, and the Holy Spirit of God is just telling you, you know, it's not you, but the Holy Spirit of God is telling you in your heart, you need to do this, you need to do that. But instead of doing it, you just say no. No, I, I'm not going to do that. And you walk away from that opportunity or you fail to do that. And whenever you do that, there's this sense of lostness in your heart and in your life because you realize that what God wanted you to do and how God wanted you to participate, you missed that opportunity. It's called quenching the Holy Spirit. And whenever we grieve and quench the Holy Spirit, we are shutting off the one who builds the church. We're shutting off the life of the church. And what Jesus is basically saying is this, you need to remember where you came from. You need to remember how you got here and you need to keep it and you need to repent of where you are. And if you repent, then that means you're going to get right with God. And when you get right with God, you get right with everybody else. Amen? You can get right with God and get right with everybody else. And the church moves on and it's not a museum, but it's a life-giving place. Well, Jesus warns them, says this, If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. Remember I told you the reason they had lost their first battle is because the enemy came like a thief in the night because nobody was watching. And Jesus said, I'm going to come like a thief in the night. And I told you to be awake. That is consistent with what Jesus taught when he walked here on the earth. In Matthew 24 and 25, in in those passages, he said over and over again, it says, be alert, be awake. You do not know when the Son of Man will come. You do not know when the Son of Man will come. And he simply calls on his people to be awake, to be alert, and to do what he tells them to do, because if they do not, he will come like a thief in the night. Verse 4, talking about those faithful ones, I'm going to cover that next week. It's so important. I've got to talk to you about the, the men and people of faith during the Reformation area of why you have your Bible today and why you are the people you are today. And, and I want to share with you about that next week in verse 4. But verse 5 is where he gives the promise to those who ever come. Three glorious promises he gives to people who will respond to his word. Here's the first one. I will clothe you in white garments. White was the picture of, of purity. It's the picture of the priesthood. It's the picture of royalty. White was that precious garment that was given to those that God felt like were unique and special. White is God's favorite color, I guess. He has a spectrum of color, but white's his favorite color because when Jesus comes, he's going to be robed in what? In white. He's going to be riding on what color horse? White. And everybody, which I'm planning to be there, everybody who comes with him is dressed in what? In white. He likes white. And it's a special garment given to those who are the people of God and to those who are the overcomers. But not only does he give them garments of white, he says also this, look at it, he says, I will not erase his name from the book of life. Well, that is important, my friend. If you get anything, I just, please do not miss that right there. He will not erase their name from the book of life. The book of life, what is that? 
Well, the book of life is obviously the book where everybody who's ever lived and ever created, God had an angel write their name down. Every person that's ever been, their name is written in the book of life. And their name, everybody's there. But then when a person gets saved and they come to Jesus, it's like they put a star by that name. I'll tell you why in just a minute. It's like they put a star or mark or a blood mark by that name. I don't know how it's going to be marked, but it's marked that way. And so this is what happens when the end of time comes or when a person's life is over. The angel either marks out the name, erases that person's name who is not a part of the family of God. But for the one who is a part of the family of God and who is under the blood of Christ, their name, because it is marked in blood, is left in that book. It is left in that book. Then at the end of time, we'll find out in Revelation that it says, they will open up the Lamb's book of life. You know what the Lamb's book of life? The Lamb's book of life is everybody's name who's still in the book. And it's in the book because of Jesus Christ. Everybody else's name has been erased who did not know Jesus. Now you say, well, why was their name erased? Because this is the book of life. The person who does not come to Christ is not going to have life. They're going to have death. They're not a part of the book of life. They're the book of death. But those of us in Christ, we are a part of the book of life because Jesus paid our debt and paid our death. We do not have to die. And therefore, we are a part of the Lamb's book of life. It is wonderful, glorious that your name not be erased from the book of life. Not only that, he says, and I will confess their name, his name, that person's name, before my father and before his angels. It's the picture that Jesus made, the promise he made. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father who is in heaven. And this is Jesus saying, I will confess that person's name before the father. Here's the picture. God is sitting here on the throne. And every one of us are going to give an account one day before God. Every one of us are going to stand before God. Now you just write that down. It says in the word of God, every one of us stand by ourselves before God. But along there is Jesus Christ. For that person who's put their faith and trust in Jesus, when that person comes and they stand there by themselves, Jesus Christ is going to come and he's going to stand with them. And he's going to look at his father and say, Father, this person put their faith and trust in me. And I ask you, will you accept my death, my payment for their sin? And the father says, yes, what you did is sufficient. And the father will usher them into life because Jesus confessed their name before the father. But for that person who walks up and does not have Jesus, Jesus is there. Jesus died on the cross for them, paid the price for their sin. But because they did not believe in Jesus, they will stand alone. And Jesus, even though he loves them, cannot stand with them because they did not believe and trust in him. Therefore, he cannot confess their name. See, the wonderful thing I know is this. I'm going to stand before God Almighty, just me and God. But thank God Jesus is going to stand with me. Amen. And my standing and my hope and my help is only in what Jesus did. I hadn't got a thing to do with me. Three glorious promises. Dressed in white. Your name is not erased from the book of life. 
and I will confess your name before the Father and his angels if you will overcome. I don't know about you. I don't want to be a sleeper. I don't want to be a museum. I don't want to be a monument. You say, oh, can that really happen to a church? Go to Europe. Go to Great Britain. Do you know where the museums are? The churches. They're museums now. We don't want that to happen in our lives. We don't want that to happen to our church. So we need to repent. We need to be right. We need to let the Holy Spirit of God move in our heart, in our life. Here's the invitation to you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, your name is still in the book of life because you haven't died, but you don't know that it's going to stay there because you haven't given your heart to Christ, you need to give your heart to Christ today. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another time. You don't know. You don't know how long you have to live. Settle that issue today and give your heart to Christ. You need to do that. Child of God, if you've fallen asleep at the wheel, if you're living more in the funeral home than you are the birthing room, if you're quenching the Holy Spirit and you're not letting the Holy Spirit be real in your life, you need to get that right before Almighty God. And we need to do that as a corporate body, amen? That the Spirit of God would work within us and be working constantly within us as He does His work. We need to just do that. We need to let Lord be Lord over our fellowship above everything else. The invitation time is for you and me to respond. If you don't know Christ, you come and give your heart to Christ. If you're a child of God, you need to come and pray about your own walk. You come and pray. I'm here to pray for you and, and, and minister to you. Whatever you need to do, I'm here to help you if you need to join our fellowship. I, want us to, I don't want to sing a song. I just want us to remain where you are, seated. I want us to just play very quietly the instruments through one stanza of invitation. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And after that, this is your opportunity to come. Someone comes, we'll continue it, but no one comes, we'll end it, we'll have the Lord's Supper. But you come right now as they play to make any decision. You be bold enough to stand up and make that commitment. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.